Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Object Class Verisimilitude, the show where your hosts, A Random Day and Captain Kirby, argue with each other and call it a podcast. On tonight's episode, Verisimilitude, the appearance of being true or real, which is a key element of the site's identity as a shared universe. So how do you enhance that feeling of realism in your article? We decided to call in an expert on the topic, the great Hippo. Hippo, thanks for coming on tonight. No problem. We want to talk about verisimilitude. You are one of the undisputed masters on the site. So we wanted to get your input and thoughts on sort of how do you approach verisimilitude, writing for verisimilitude, and what do you think verisimilitude means from an SCP point of view? I hesitate to say that I'm like fantastic at it. I think there's a couple of writers I would point out who are better. But uh, for me, anyway, the easiest way to do it is just to always start with a real. Like start with something that is an actual thing that happens and then elaborate off of it. Because once you get into the reader's headspace, the idea of something that is real, and if you're trying to be spooky or creepy, pick something that's real and also creepy. If you sell them on something that's real, then you can start moving towards the not real, and the reader will never know when that transition actually started to happen. Is like the easiest way to do it. But the other part of it that's really tricky, and I think the best writers are really good at this, is there's a difference between appearing to be real and actually being real. Actual real stuff is boring as hell. Actual real dialogue, if you read a transcript from like a trial or an interview, it's fucking boring. Nobody's interested. It doesn't feel real because our idea of what is real is different from what is actually real. So you have to have an understanding of, of faking reality, of taking out the boring bits and making it still feel like it, it, it isn't boring, but it still sounds like something that would be boring. It's it's a weird balance between it has to sound real, but not actually be real. Yeah, it's one of the things that's really interesting about fiction, in my opinion, is that there's the saying, real life is stranger than fiction. And that kind of plays out in writing in a number of ways, not just in like the stories that you hear in real life, maybe sounding less realistic to you than something you might read, but also just like the way that people talk and act. You might point at a piece of dialogue and say, that doesn't sound realistic, but... Mm. That it doesn't necessarily, real. yeah, it could be real and just still be not real, interesting. But it just, no, it doesn't sound realistic. It doesn't, nobody buys it. Like, this is, no, nobody, nobody would actually say that. It's like, but no, somebody literally just said it. It's like, no, no, no. And so you have to kind of cheat in a certain sense. You have to understand that there's a big gap between what is real and what sounds real. To me, it seems like something that a lot of authors tend to, like, do with, especially with, like, murder monsters, is that they focus too strongly on, like, the monster part, and they think that they need to go in-depth on, like, taking the monster apart oh, right, right, and yeah. showing what makes it tick. A monster is just like a frog, because as soon as you dissect it, you kill it. And in a horror article, that means you're kind of killing the horror by showing how it works, you right. know? That fear of the unknown is how, is what makes something spooky. So when you make something known and you're telling us how we know it, it stops being scary and it stops working as like a murder monster. It's just a description of a dead right. thing. I, it, there's a lot of times I see, like, I haven't read drafts for a long time because I've been busy with work. But when I did, one of the biggest things people would do, and when I pointed it out, their immediate response would be, like, they would go into depth of how the Foundation would deal with this thing realistically. And I'd be like, you don't have to do that. You can cheat. You can just not have the Foundation do it. Wouldn't the Foundation do this to contain the monster? And, and I'd be like, well, that's not interesting. And that kind of ends the story, so just don't have the Foundation do that. And they'd be like, but that's what the Foundation would do realistically. I'm like, you don't have to. You're allowed to cheat. You could just be like, fuck it. They don't think of that. Like, it just, you can do stuff like that. Constant example that would come up is indestructible stuff, where, like, readers or writers would say, uh, the walls of this thing are indestructible because the Foundation could get in. It would cause a problem, like, and any sort of anomaly, like there's a time travel anomaly that involves a door, so they make the door indestructible because otherwise the Foundation could drill through the door and see what's going on. Just don't have them drill through the door. It's like you're allowed to do that. You can just skip it. One of my articles, Kafka's uh, Parking Garage, is like, nobody, literally no one has ever asked me, why doesn't the Foundation just drill into this parking garage? I, I don't explain it. Like, I don't say, I just say... Nobody can get into the parking garage. And nobody has, literally no one has ever said, well, why don't they just drill down into it? You don't have to tell people that sort of stuff. Like, you can skip it. It's fine. And when you do that, it makes it feel more real because 
if you actually start dealing with a minutia like that, it starts to feel so banal and tedious that it, it just doesn't feel real anymore. Where if you just kind of gloss over it and let it like slide, people buy it. Particularly if it has the right atmosphere. They're, they're much more likely to buy it. There's a weird, interesting balance between, like, elision and wanting to give the right level of detail. I've had, why didn't they just do X brought up in my article sometimes, but usually it's from the standpoint of, um, if you come into writing an article and come into reading an article with the perception that the foundation is a hyper, um, hyper effective, hyper competent, thank you, hyper competent organization, which in a number of cases they are shown to be, then you kind of get the reader starting to poke holes in what you're lining up. The author has probably thought through more scenarios than the reader because right. the reader's just the reader just right. now heard about this anomaly. They haven't been sitting here looking at this draft for a couple hours trying to wonder if they're missing anything. So, like, when you're writing an article, if you are looking at a piece and you can kind of just describe it as logistics, not plot, not right. characterization, not even necessarily interesting imagery – if it kind of just boils down to logistics, there's a reasonable chance you can just it, cut it. It starts feeling like you're reading like a Dungeon Master campaign trying to outthink his players with the foundation being the players. It's like, fucking no, don't do that. It just, it's boring. Cut it. You don't need it. Because the more you point out the way you're blocking all these holes in your article, the more the reader notices and realizes that you're constructing something rather than something just happening. Like, the more it becomes obvious, oh, you're trying to plug all the holes that I could preemptively poke into this article. It's like, if you never even bring attention to those holes in the first place, the reader misses them. Never even notice it. There is a very specific kind of they want article a that that thing, falls into right. where it becomes blatantly obvious that the author is forcing the foundation to commit to some exceedingly stupid gotcha. There are times I think that that works, but it has to be a very specific sort of article. Like the squirrel, there was Spike Brennan wrote, I think, somebody wrote, where it's just like the most ridiculous containment procedures that have ever been conceived, where the foundation has to make sure this event happens exactly in the same way every time. 1746. That works for me. That's the whole freaking point, is to just be so ridiculously stupid and force the foundation, but like... If you're doing it and it's not the point of your article, it is so obvious you're just trying to get to your conclusion. If I can see you trying to get your way to the conclusion, you've already lost me. It has to happen in a way where I don't feel like you tried to get there. You just ended up. Making something, like, flow organically is definitely something that's, like, a lot harder to do than it sounds. Especially because half the time when I'm, like, trying to make my plot flow organically... I just think of, oh, this is something that should happen because I think it sounds cool or it fits thematically. Making an article flow organically, I think, comes down to making each part of the article feel cohesively and thematically linked. That helps a lot, right? If Yeah, if nothing else, Mm. because SCPs are like self-contained flash fiction or short fiction... Making sure that each part of the article is, like, thematically linked in some way still keeps the whole piece feeling real, because in the case of something like 2845, Mm -hmm. it taps into the idea of, like, myths and rituals and stuff that we accept as real in the absence of, like, scientific evidence. It's something that feels real, and that can be a lot more powerful than something that is, like, painstakingly made to sound real. Once you start seeing it, it it becomes kind of obvious. It sounds like a bad liar. Who's trying to like plug up all his defenses preemptively, like where the guy saying, "Oh, I had to go to the grocery market um, um, because um, because I ran out of lemons, and that was because." And it's like you're lying to me. When you start doing it too much, it's like if you just said, "I had to go to the grocery store," that's way more believable. It's especially difficult, in my opinion, like for an SCP article, if you have like a plot in mind, because one way, at least in more traditional fiction or slightly longer works that you can kind of get around having a plot point that might not immediately make sense. Like there's not this basic cut flow logic to why a certain individual would arrive at a certain conclusion. 
you can usually kind of get around that with characterization. You can say, you can show how they think. You can kind of lay the seeds to be like, oh, they're the kind of person that thinks this. Maybe if they see this situation, they might not do what most people would do. They would do this other thing instead. But when you're looking at an, an SCP article, especially like your shorter ones where you're just trying to kind of dig into a phenomenon or into just a piece of horror, right. you don't really have that space to, to lay the seeds down to hit whatever plot point you might have in mind that you think is scary. If you think that X is scary and that this situation is scary, you also have to make sure that it isn't contrived on its own because you can't make the contrived parts you can't paper over that with bad decisions made by characters because you more likely than not lack the sufficient runway to right. create characters to reach that point. Because I love minimalism. Shorter is always better for me. At the same time, there are certain things I want to do and I'm like, this is not going to work within 500 words. I need to build to it because otherwise the reader won't buy it. One, I wrote um, The Seventh Door. That's not minimalistic of me, like when you read it, because like, there's like three or four whole paragraphs describing the archaic inner workings of like Nintendo's licensing system that has nothing to fucking do with the anomaly. And that's on purpose, because I'm saying I'm trying to build the reader to what I, where I want them to be. I need a runway. It's like I need to get the reader into thinking, OK, this is real. And that's like why I start with that is like ease you into the idea of like Nintendo licensing weird electronic devices that are real and doing weird shit and causing decay. But otherwise it wouldn't work, I don't think, because you need that runway. It's describing a very special and very niche aspect Mm -hmm. of culture that most of us have never heard of. And just by introducing us to this world Mm -hmm. of bootlegging, vintage video games, even how like 90s piracy works, this is like cool Mm -hmm. stuff on its own. It's also priming us for something thematically Right, right. It's already a little spooky, and it's real, so you already kind of got the reader. They're interested. They're like, oh, this is interesting. I didn't know about this. And it's already a little spooky. It's like on the edges, so they're already a little off-put by it. And it's real. That's the other point of it. Because it's real, it's like the reader is primed to think the rest of it is real, too, even though it's not. The box art is a really nice touch. I love I the box art. I didn't steal, but I stole the design for this from, um, I think it's called Mylan's Castle, something, Mylan's Quest. I-, I can't remember the name of the game now. I basically just looked up box art online until I found one I really liked. And I said, I actually remembered the game it was from, too. And I just recreated it with, with public domain assets. <laughs> That's yeah, pretty yeah. Cool. I actually put, I put Hivesoft on there, too. Um. Uh, the logo for Hivesoft is a reference to Hive Mind uh-huh. from Zip. <laughs> That's deep hippo lore, fellas. They're, they're on there. It's like... That's a special treat only for listeners yeah. of this podcast. My um, housemate actually drew that for me, that little <laughs> globe with a B. The image is, is kind of oh, tiny. nice. Nice. I can't even tell it's a globe with a B. I love that stuff. <laughs> I don't think anybody would ever know or care about that. But it's just like, I needed, because I needed a, a game uh, company. This is the and quality content you're only going to get on this podcast, folks. B, like they had a B in their name or something. I was like, oh, I can use that. Because it's the same like thing, Bs and software. It ties in nicely to it's one of those right. other things that SCP is yeah, that it's you kind of get cool the, the interlinked little references small breadcrumbs of different articles that, appearing in different places. Like it's not a reference that you need to get, but if you pay attention, you catch it. But overall, like that, the idea of like making sure that your article is only focusing on the things that aren't essentially plugging up holes kind of bring us back to the verisimilitude point. Like that's one form of verisimilitude that I think exists, I think largely transcends like the SCP format. It's, but one a type of verisimilitude which I get dinged for a lot, rightfully so, is something that's much more specific to the SCP right. format, which is right. that's a, that's making sure that what you are writing reads like a scientific document. I will get dinged for this, and then I mm. essentially hope that most people are invested enough right. in the story that they just don't there, think there, about the fact that it's a scientific a document and they just the story carry it. You could cheat that, yeah, but like, like that, there's that using that effectively can make for can, can make articles pop. And it in surprised a me sense. when I realized this because DJ Cactus is actually really good at techno babble. Never like realized how good he was at it. Uh, like some of his articles, his mm-hmm. containment procedures, I'm reading them like like this is just grade A techno babble. Like it reads kind of like a really high end Star Trek stuff. Not so much for Star Trek where you can tell it's techno babble. I wasn't really a big fan of the um, 001 that he did with um, Kalanen and those others a while back. But if you read the containment procedures for it, like where they're talking about like deep well stuff and everything, it's like, these are fucking great. It's like, this is great fucking techno babble. It's like, it, it sounds real. Oh, Even yeah. though it's complete yeah, the fucking sec- nonsense. His second proposal. How do you think like you pull that sort of thing off? Find real things and steal 
steal like a motherfucker, basically. I did it for uh, The Seventh Door. I didn't do Techno Babble. I just used the actual like idea. But think of that. But then um, just start stealing those terms and using them how- kind of however you want and mixing them in there. If you want to do something with like some sort of weird reality bending, go find terms for quantum physics and just start fucking throwing shit in there. There's a weird art to it where you have to um, realize how far you can take it until someone will start to notice. There's also the balance of, like, I know it kind of ticks quantum physicists off. I'm sure there's quantum mathematicians looking at it saying, that's not what that means. And in a certain way, they're right. But there, there is a little bit of leeway you have there, I think, where you can just start ripping out. If you really want to not piss them off, one way I think is good to do that sort of thing is... To write it in a way where, where someone who is knowledgeable on the subject you're screwing with will realize you know that they know. So, like, throw stuff in there that, that is clearly nonsense but still works. Little signals to them. Like, yeah, I know. We both know that I'm completely bullshitting here. The clinical tone equivalent of the NCIS hacking team. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the other thing about Technobabble is, like, you can also just go overload with, like, if you have too much Technobabble that's, like, truly, genuinely Technobabble, then you'll just end up with a large percentage of your article that means nothing. Right. Right. <laughs> and it's just atmosphere. That bothers me, but also it works sometimes, depending on what you're trying to do. Some atmosphere is good because, again, it sets an atmosphere. But if you have too much, then you, as, yeah, a, as a uh, reader, I'm like, can you please – could you get to the point? Right. Once you start, once you start having your reader skim, you got a problem. And it's like, okay, no, it's taking too long. I think it's at the atmosphere pieces ought to serve double duty in terms of setting both the tone of an article and helping to establish the context that will lend your article. Right, similarity. absolutely. It, 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 I think if it's just atmosphere, you're kind of screwing up. Like if that's the only thing you're doing. Sometimes it's unavoidable, but usually, no, you you can do more than just atmosphere. Do some other things with it too. Right. That's one of the reasons I love um, The Seventh Door, because those first four paragraphs that are setting up the context, they're also setting us up for spooky video game creepypasta. One person who I think was really good at setting like an atmosphere while also providing context is Michael Atreus. I love Michael Atreus' stuff, and I am forever going to stand by this article. SCP-2409 really does a fantastic job of setting up atmosphere that also helps to contextualize and add depth to an otherwise unremarkable just, just a, just a very, murder a very monster article. Overall cursory summary, uh, t- 2409 is about essentially a shutdown uh, police precinct and what you hear co- that comes from within. I, uh, it's very short, so like it, it should not take very long to read. Sport, I love the line, a minor ectoentropic leak from within prevents paint from properly adhering to the glass surfaces. So other measures have been taken to prevent excessive light leakage from within at night, which might arouse local curiosity. All doors and windows that put... Like, this is just... It, it's complete bullshit. It has nothing to do with anything. But it's just... And it doesn't dwell on it too long. It's just that little tweak. Yeah. Where it's like, this is such a tiny piece of minutia of, of, of like, how they have to deal with this weird physics problem. That's one of the reasons I love his stuff. Because he always has these little... They're over-glorified tech documents. But they work. Because they don't linger for too long. One of the things I really And love they read. Wonderful. One of the things I really love about uh, 2409 is that first image, black box device ready to deploy. That is a real, like, prop photo of complete bullshit inside. Right. It is... I never noticed this before. It's got the little SCP logo. Did he make it? I did not notice that either. I didn't realize how much bullshit that was. Like, I thought that was, like, I I thought that was, like, maybe a real thing. Right. Or, or like, a partially, a, a thing that was taken apart. But, like, no, that's just actual bullshit. That that, that means nothing. He's got a quarter-turn valve in there. Uh, That's Yeah, see? Jesus Christ. He has a microphone taped inside, right? (laughs) I didn't realize that. Dude, he's got a... He's got... He's just dead... He's just dead-ass guy. I think that's, like, a spray bottle... That's a spray bottle tube. That is straight up a spray bottle tube. What's great about it is that when you look at it, that does not look... Like just a suitcase full of bullshit. That it looks, yeah. looks like something. <laughs> the, like the, the it's the black and white image that sets this in the old timey period that makes this article work. That is one of the reasons two four zero nine is such a great article. It's not about the verisimilitude of the science in two four zero nine. It's about the verisimilitude of the atmosphere. The little touches of like all the images being black and white, and what's basically text messages being delivered over a first generation covert teletype. 
that sort of thing makes this feel like something that right. was dragged out of like and the what, 1950s oh or something. Oh man, I'm rereading this. One, like I was mentioning before where don't make your article sound like it's like a, a dungeon master in a D&D campaign trying to outthink his players. All it says is exterior doors and windows are inoperable and impervious to ordinary attempts to remove or damage them. Done. Doesn't even use the word indestructible. It's just you can't open them, can't damage them. It doesn't explain it, doesn't say what does that mean. And I was like, that's great, because that, that just establishes you can't get into the building. Why not? Don't care. It has something to do with weird technology. It's not the important part of the article. We right. are moving on to the good part. Right. It's like, it's just, and the description's one paragraph. It's all he freaking needs. I, I have a soft spot for articles with really short descriptions, because, like, mm-hmm. usually if the description is long, that means that they're, either the description has a lot of nice imagery, in which case that's good, mm-hmm. or it means that the description is lingering in establishing logistics and mechanics of the right, anomaly. Right, yeah. And while that can be important if your story really capitalizes on it, usually logistics and mechanics are just not the interesting part of the anomaly. Right. If you're writing an anomaly where the logistics and the mechanics are the important part, that's a very special kind of article, and honestly, congratulations if you can make those interesting on their own. Here, he doesn't even have, like, a full paragraph because it's scrunched in next right. to a picture. It's, yeah, like, it's two sentences, what? three sentences, I think. It's, yeah. it's three sentences. It's three whole sentences. And it's all you need, and then he jumps right into the good part. One sentence is saying where it is. The second sentence says you what? can't get in. And the third sentence just says, oh, and there's some noises that come from inside. It's yeah, like, yeah. freaking it. That's all you need. It demonstrates uh, a knowledge of knowing what the good parts of your article are. Yeah. Because, like, like, when you ask someone to read something... There's usually, like, a specific part of the article or, like, some specific parts of the article that are supposed to be the entertaining parts. Like, right. it can be the whole article, but, like, some aspects of the article are supposed to be the things that you're supposed to latch on to. Right. You're, you're working towards something. Yeah, and knowing to cut the description to three sentences because what the actual anomaly is other than establishing it as a building is, like, the least important part. Hmm. N- knowing that is a really good in- insight on his part. So that way he can jump, just jump right into the addenda, which also capitalizes on the fact that we don't know what's inside the building. Right, right. It does a very good job of not showing the monster. No, oh, yeah, and that's one of the reasons that the article works is all it is, it just lays it down and you have no idea what the fuck's going on. You just know the messages that people were sending back and forth. And that's basically it. And that's great. It's like, I read into it. Um, I see that there's um, some interjections in between the logs, which is fine. It's been a while since I've read through this one. Did I upvote this? Pretty sure I did. I remember it was it was featured a long time ago, and before then though, I th- it was either like at like low one hundreds or like mid one hundreds. It's it's one of those like old articles that really deserve the recognition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's done much better than I expected. I think age has yeah. been really it features help. It. Features help. Also, it helps that the presentation of this article is just supremely higher quality than most other stuff on the site. It was this article and the other one that I love that I know other people don't. I think it's understandable, but Fatberg. I fucking love Fatberg. I enjoy Fatberg a great deal. I'm Taste not sure tastes, how I felt yeah. about it when it first came out, but I have warmed up to it significantly since then. And like people say, well, why are the D class? Like, why are you killing the D class in this article? Fatberg, in case anybody doesn't know, is based. I forget which number it is. 2717. 2717. Basically, this article about this gigantic fatberg, which is just like a freaking collection of fat underneath the city, and D-Class who have to go in and clean it out, but the part of it that's kind of horrific is that the D-Class get left inside and swallowed up by the fat. And the article just treats it in this most banal, tedious, straightforward way. It doesn't at all emphasize the horror of it, but in a way that kind of pipes up the horror. Like, it describes the grotesqueness of the fatberg. But it's almost casual about the way he says, you know, and it never explains why they do it, which is actually something I love. But I know why people are like, well, you can't do that. But to me, it just feels like something I would expect to actually read a government put out. No, no, it actually says like the following briefing has been constructed by memetic specialists for maximum comprehension and motivation. This is how they explain to the D-class what Mm. they're doing and how they convince them to do it. Right. I know this is weird, but it actually reminds me a lot of, like, the main exposition method in 2845. The way the bulk of the story is, like, onloaded into the containment procedures. It uses the containment procedures to deliver flavor that contextualizes the entire article without making it sound, like, too clinical to be comprehensible. Yeah, and it didn't even occur to me until you brought it up. The special containment procedures are literally longer than the script than anything else. The article is the special containment procedures. The description's like five paragraphs. The containment procedures are like eight, no, like ten, much longer. 
the special containment features are like where the horror is. Real. I mean, the description's pretty horrific too. The special containment procedures basically form a short story on their own. I mean, it's almost like a description of the world's worst hike. <laughs> really like this article, and it feels it, it has it, it has that I like fatbergs are real. Nothing in it like it's describing a very real thing. This is like a very different kind of verisimilitude from two four zero nine or four zero five four, in that the verisimilitude here is delivered solely by virtue of how pragmatic it is. It's not just that, like, a fatberg is a thing that exists. It's that I, the author, have thought about this fatberg to an extent right. that I know how to deal with it in real life. You don't have to worry about how this thing gets solved because I'm creating this problem and solving it. Kind of a flip side of what I was mentioning before where it feels very much like the DM of a campaign. It's not exactly that same energy because he's not trying to preemptively stop the players from winning. It's more like, we're going to drill deep into this. We're not half-assing it. We're going to go over all the different steps you need to actually deal with this problem in almost tedious detail. Since it's not like 5,000 words long, it's, it works. And just like, effluent shall be sterilized via cobalt-60 irradiation and then reintroduced to city infrastructure for treatment as ordinary sewage at the downstream boundary of the containment zone. It's like technical porn, almost. And it works for some reason one of the reasons that this article works is that it's using its verisimilitude and build up as the worst hike of all time it's creating a silhouette of the monster mm -hmm. the very last lines of the special containment procedures under no circumstances right. are any crews to be recovered from the sewers once maintenance is complete or in any event the pump shall be restarted and then it explains that by the way, there is a really gross monster in this sewer. Mm. And because we spent so much time understanding how to deal with this monster, it's almost putting us in the shoes of the D-class. Mm. And then we realize, oh, we're stuck in a sewer with... With whatever uh, the fuck is down there. Very hungry pork. <laughs> yeah, the realization happening so late in the article helps a lot, I, I think, too, yeah. Because, like, you're reading this whole thing, you're saying, where the fuck is this going? And I was like, oh, we're, we're, he's going with us being stuck down there. Yeah, I can see how it's kind of like a journey in a certain sense. One of the best details of Verisimilitude I love, and that basically gives the entire backstory on 2717. The very last footnote. See also, Vlis Velen Metastabil Proliferati Van Sus Scrofa Spearsellen in Vitro. It's in Dutch, mm -hmm. and what it basically means is, how do we grow pork cells in vitro? Mm -hmm. And coupled with the line, current lines of investigation support the theory of unintentional human introduction. We understand immediately, oh, someone was trying to lab grow pork, mm -hmm. and now it's growing in the sewers. When I did the Good Boy 001 with Pepper's Ghost, uh, that, it was that footnote that caused me to come up with the idea of ovulation events. Like, we never describe what it is. A Good Boy refers to this article because I loved it so much, and I just wanted to explain we, we never explain why the D-class have to be left in there, but we make reference to ovulation events based on that footnote. It's like, oh, it's ovulating. One of your skills as an author that's always impressed me is how in articles like 3352 or a lot of your Parawatch articles, you come up with dialogue that is extremely expositional, but is still engaging and like keeps us hooked. How do you do it? I don't know. I, I've listened to a lot of people say a lot of different things and try to... There's a couple of cheats I know you can do. Insert little quirks, like in Bethlehem Steel. Uh, 3352. The second dialogue bit where the guy's telling, talking about the ice on the hydrants. One of the things I did was I was like, okay, he's the sort of guy who tells all his stories in present tense. He's telling the story and it's in present tense. That's a very specific quirk. But the trick about that and the thing you have to be careful about when you're doing that is the quirks that you add can't be so obvious that the reader notices them. So like, okay, he tells stories in present tense, but that's it. Like, if you go too far with it, the reader starts noticing. And once they start noticing the quirks, it stops feeling real and it starts feeling contrived. Another article I wrote uh, ages ago called The Laughing Men. One of the uh, logs has the guy uh, struggle to get his projector on. He's saying, oh, there's a problem with the projector at the very beginning. And he stutters a couple times. And that's it. And just introducing those little things that don't really do anything besides little character moments, I guess. And they try to create a sense of this is real. This is happening in the real world. These are real people who have weird, like, little tiny problems. Problems that don't slow the story down and don't stop the story, but give it that sense of death. 
I find that helps sometimes. So I'll often try to find some way to introduce one or two just like little feather touches. I can see how that comes through in your articles a lot. That's a pretty cool way you do it. And also uh, read them, reading them out loud <laughs> helps a lot too. Like actually reading, reading the dialogue. Out- yeah, reading out loud for dialogue is like advice that rings true no matter how many times you've written dialogue and no matter what dialogue you're writing. Going back and reading any sort of dialogue out loud will almost always, if there's something that doesn't roll off the tongue right, you can probably rewrite it to make it roll off the tongue better. Right. I don't actually read it out loud, but I read it out loud in my head. I'm imagining the person actually saying it and hearing the voice and everything. That's when I start making tweaks for flow and take out this word, add that word, etc. Also, diction is a part of it, but I don't think too much about that. I just think in terms of, is this the sort of person who would use a word like is this the sort of person who would use a word like vernacular or not? If not, then uh, take out yeah. the word vernacular. It's just a little stuff like that. It helps a lot. Yeah. Being able to identify voices, it's, it's important both for just dialogue and also for any like first-person writing. Mm-hmm. Even in that, you're allowed to cheat a little bit sometimes, where it's like, I really, really want the person to say this. It's fine. You can bend it a little bit. It's very fuzzy in a certain sense. Yeah, yeah. Almost every rule has like an exception in writing. Right. The key is that there's things you can say that will work a large enough amount of the time, and the best skill in writing is to know when to stop following the rules. Hmm. But at some point, you have to know like what works and what doesn't to realize when you should abandon the preconceptions. Right, right. Sometimes it's like, it's fine. Nobody cares. You can have the guy do this or do that. It's not going to break the article. Right. We were talking about that way back at the beginning of the podcast, where if you notice your own plot holes and like keep trying to patch them up, you're just going to end up showing more plot holes. Right. The reader is willing to cut you a lot more slack for the yes, sake of absolutely. the article than you might think. I think a lot of people who write these things do not realize how much slack the reader will cut you. Readers don't realize how much slack they will cut you. They're not even aware of it half the time. Like, they will let you get away with fucking everything. I'll be the first to admit, I can even be convinced to love a blatant format screw if I think the story it tells works well enough. Oh, I will forgive all crimes if I like what happens. There's the opposite of verisimilitude, but I love it. I love trying to do it. It's where an article at the very beginning basically, pardon the vulgarity, but basically slaps its dick down on the table and says, I'm going to make you love this. I don't give a fuck. Like declaring your article at the very top, pataphysics. Already you've lost half your readers. Like half the people are saying, fuck you. And I love starting from that point and being like, now I'm going to win you back. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) but I'm going to start by like kicking you in the nuts. And then I'm going to be like, now it's now I got to actually win you over. Like, I, I love I, I that. Think that's, my favorite attempt articles to try to write are articles where I'm sitting to myself like, this article shouldn't work. Everyone yes, says that this article doesn't work. I love that. Work. There's like, no way this like, should yeah, work. You know what? I'm going to write a thing that kills you. And that's literally all it is. Mm-hmm. There's two of them on the site. There's two literal things that kill you. There's the one from uh, Scantron that I did for JamCon. And then I have one which I get away with because of the canon I set it in. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's also stuff like Murder Monsters, which come out and they li- like the description is literally... I love like, Murder Monsters. Murder Monster. And there's like two more paragraphs, and it's still a murder monster, and yeah. the article's over. Um, and, I have and, and, so many murder monsters. I have a, <laughs> I have a car that kills you. I have Disney costumes oh, yeah, I that kills the car. you. I have a wizard that kills you. Did People are just willing to let you get away with that stuff if you make the monster gross and creepy. And being gross and creepy doesn't mean taking the monster apart leg by leg. It means letting the monster take someone else apart leg mm-hmm. by leg. Mm-hmm. I wrote the entire article of um, La Historia de Don Quixote. I wrote that literally because somebody told me, I can't remember who, it says, I'm downloading the next pataphysics article I see. And I'm like, then I am starting my article by saying, this is a pataphysics article, and I'm going to try and get your upvote. I, I love that, where, where you paint yep. yourself in a yep. corner and you have to like wriggle your way out. It's my favorite. That's a really yeah. fascinating self-imposed challenge. Uh, there's so many articles I wrote just for yeah, the benefit of there's no freaking way that I should be able to get away with this. And I'm go- like uh, the Vincent Price one was, was that. It was like, I'm going to start with a premise that is Vincent fucking Price as a wax model. And they're trying to be spooky. And I was like, there's no fucking way. And then just trying to, how do I work my way out of that? I think it's the, the, only o- way- the opposite of versatility, though, because you're knocking the reader out of immersion. You're making the reader aware that this is, a, this is an article. It's fiction. It's like, now I have to actually pull you back in. 
the thing that I love though about like those kind of articles is that usually if they work, they work the best because not only have you right. like they, there's the people who you're gonna punch in the face with what you start with, but then there's people who you don't necessarily punch in the face and you and it, this will probably work even better on them. I, I also get to tie this one back into very similitude. I have an article that I start with. You are the SCP. It's immediately saying, "Yep." Guess what? This stopped being real immediately because right, anyone right. who can look outside this you out. knows they're not an anomaly. But the article spends the entirety of the article justifying that first sentence. Right. And, and like, I love that where it was yeah, like the entire yeah. article has to justify your intro. I mean, <laughs> it's like, oh, I made one bad decision and I'm going right. to make it work. I have an article whose object class is Apollyon. And then the first line I hate it is, already. not Apollyon, yeah. needed to get your attention. <laughs> That's pretty good. It's like, how the, how the fuck are you going to win from there? So the premise oh, of this article... I remember that one. It's the Shrink Ray one. Yep. The Shrink yeah, right. Ray, SCP-4780. I, I, no, it has no verisimilitude whatsoever. You have to be willing to cut it a fair amount of slack to let all the pieces fit together. I, I, I like that article. I think I upvoted it. can't remember now. It is kind of like a thing where you, you set up and then punchline immediately. My favorite type of article that does this, though, is the sort of article that breaks verisimilitude and then spends the rest of the article winning back verisimilitude. By the end of the article, you are completely invested again. And for that, you need space. Like, you need a long... Mm -hmm. like, because mm -hmm. once you break it... You don't need a lot of... Well, it depends, it depends on how, much, how you define space. I don't mean, like, literally words. It's hard to win the reader back after that. You need to give them a little, uh, like at least a, a little bit of time to recover and to reinvest in the article. So by the end of it, they believe again. They believe the story. You need that runway. Right. You need that runway. And that back. is incredibly yeah. hard. The Murphy Law one, the first one I ever did, is basically that where it's like it starts with just the stupidest. It's not even a good format screw. Most contrived format screw imaginable where it's just the article is an email saying, hey, we lost the article. The second one, that's Murphy Law, is just a normal article. It's not even a format screw. But the first one is a format screw, and it's just the dumbest format screw. It is like the, the least thoughtful format screw, where it's just an email saying, we lost the article. And then the rest of it is just so drilling down into it that it tries to win you back through sheer charisma. Which is another approach. It's not quite as verisimilitude-y, I guess. I'm trying to think of an example of... I, I have one example. 4,000? 4, 4,000. Taboo? Oh. 4,000 starts with, we can't give you the name of the anomaly. Right, right. We can't even call it the same thing two times in a row. That's what it starts from. Feels kind of bullshit. First, it tries to justify it when you back, and then it doubles down on the atmosphere that it created during that process. Right, yeah. No, that and, is until a... it hits the final note, and you're just like, oh, shit. Yeah, I, I could see that. That's a pretty good example where it starts with a thing that sounds like bullshitty. And you're already like, eh, but by the time you get to the end, you're invested. Because it just yeah, keeps yeah. going and going and going keeps drilling down into it it takes itself very seriously even though it is very ridiculous that's one of the great things you can cheat on with writing you can have some of the most ridiculous things in some sense mm. but it feels kind of bad to say but it's kind of the truth of it if it's good enough it still works mm. <laughs> like like there's a, a, a quote from a comedian who is if the audience enjoyed it it doesn't matter what you said right if the people came away from it feeling entertained, then like you can break all of the rules, all of the verisimilitude. But the thing is, like that's still really hard because you're starting at a deficit. You're playing from a deficit. Yeah, and I, I like that. I, that's one of my favorite things is starting at a yeah. deficit. It's like I, I, it's a fun challenge. It's a fun challenge as a writer. Yeah, no, it's like my favorite thing is like start with something that should not work and then try to make it work. But I exactly. also like going the yep. other way too sometimes, where where there's start with something that's just so subtle that it doesn't even... My favorite articles to write are those, but also articles where you don't even know where the anomaly is. It's like, is it anomalous? Uh, my favorite Pepper's Ghosts article, Laugh is Fun. Where's the fucking anomaly? What What about <laughs> oh it is God. anomalous? Oh my like, God. like, you read Laugh through the fun. whole thing. Like, it's obviously spooky and fucked up and bizarre, but at the end of it, it's like, what's the anomaly? Like, that some yeah. graves, some bodies are disappearing? Some, like, disappearances? It's yeah, there's disappearances some disappearances and a weird listing on your cable. Like, that's it. That's the whole anomaly, and yet you're still shitting yourself at the end of right, it. Right, right. I love that. That that's like my favorite sort of space where it's like you're still spooked, but it's like I don't know what the fuck I'm spooked by. There's what is it about found footage that creeps the pants off of us? I don't know because it, it feels real. It feels verisimilitude. -y. It, it has that sense of it could be real. It has that suspense to it. This could just be a movie, or maybe it's not a movie. Maybe this is real found footage. And I think that's why when you start seeing the scaffolding of the 
writer or the creator, where they're trying to make it more real, it breaks it. But the, the more it feels organic, the more it feels not constructed, the more it feels like you could buy it as actually something that actually happened, that somebody actually found for just a moment. That's why I love Power Watch, too. It's like the mm-hmm. whole idea of trying to get the reader into a space where for just a moment they're thinking they might just forget that this is all bullshit. I've, like, I've linked people one of the, uh, the VHS one, Sun, Sunday Dinner, that's it. Yeah, I've linked, I've linked, I've linked a couple people that video, and they're like, "Is this legit?" And I'm like, "I love that. That's exactly what I'm aiming for for someone to actually read it and be like, are you describing something that actually happened?'" That's like kind of what old school creepypasta is right. much more based on is the idea that, "Hey, this is something that really happened." Right. Exactly. Um, and you can believe it usually a lot more because, um, in context, you're not going to fiction website. You're just on reddit or wherever right. and someone right. said hey this happened to me and exactly. who are you to say some stranger on the internet's lying who lies on the internet <laughs> which is one of the problems with the foundation as a uh, means because as soon as we see the article we know it's a lie you're already working on a deficit with the, the scp stuff because everybody knows the game by now so it's like it doesn't really work the same way anymore that it used to back when like 173 one of the reasons 173 worked was because nobody knew the fucking game like nobody, like it, fair, it just came out of nowhere. Worked, there it was felt no real, game. right? There was no game. It felt real. That's why we read it now. It's like this is fucking stupid. Yeah, but you have to think of it back when nobody knew what the fucking SCP was. Back then, it kind of had a strange energy to it because it didn't exist in anyone's headspace. So it felt yep, real. Yep. It felt like an actual thing that could exist. Now it doesn't. That's why I think you've seen the shift in the words narrative away from verisimilitude because verisimilitude is hard with, with these SCP articles. Much harder now because everybody knows yeah. what they are. Everyone knows the game. But you don't get as many people coming into Site 7T and asking, is SCP real yes, as we used to? Right. Yeah. Oh, how the times have changed. That's one of the reasons I started writing the Power Watch stuff is like Substation 9, which is literally just where I worked for a couple of months. Like I just... Just mm-hmm. wrote about where I worked, and I added some spooky things. How many of your articles are just you literally writing about where you work? Because I, I think that makes two in my head now. That makes I, at least two. At least three. I, yeah, Substation 9, Bethlehem Steel, and there's another one I can't remember. One of my favorite Parawatch articles of yours is Escape from Terminus. Because, oh, like, that's, yes. It's so verisimilitude that, like, there's at least half a dozen people who have been like, this is literally not an SCP. Right. I, and I get people saying that that makes the article, like, they don't see it or they don't enjoy it. And I completely understand that. I have no issue with it. But, like, that's the reason I wrote it was because I wanted to see if it's possible to create an article where one person might read and go, oh, my fucking God. And other person reads it and says, I, I don't get it. What What's spooky? He just described a game. I love that sort of break mm-hmm. where, like, you have two completely different reads of it. The The anomaly is so hidden that it's not even... It's not even yeah. uh, like a Twilight Zone twist. It's just literally you can read it two completely different ways and both ways are legitimate. Like there's some articles that like explore that not in the is not I have that duality in the end, mm-hmm. but it's more that like you can start to read it one way and then it flips and you read it the other. Mm-hmm. Um, like a lot of Dash EX articles do that. My favorite example of like this explicit like, is there an anomaly here? I'm not sure if there's an anomaly here. Peasel's SCP-3000-EX. Oh yeah. Modified hospital beds. Even though going in, in this case, you know that there's no anomaly, mm-hmm. the, the point of the article is still the, you sit there and you kind of can go through the foundation's thought process mm-hmm. about why there might be an anomaly here. Like, you understand in, like, any other SCP, what they do makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And then it hits the stinger at the end. The, the horror in that article isn't so much based around the supernatural. It's mm-hmm. more based around the horror of what happens when people are just incompetent and fuck up. Right. The thing about, like, the fuck up, the last part of the article, it's a newspaper article about how the detective totally blew the case and had gaps in his memory, and there was evidence that seemed to have been removed outright. Mm-hmm. Who do we know has the power to remove <laughs> to remove memories, mm-hmm. get rid of evidence? Right. It's like you realize, oh, it's not the detective who fucked up. Foundation who fucked up. I really hope someone got fired for that blunder. Probably not. Asking the question, is this anomalous, is very close to, like, the very similar to asking a question of, like, is this real? Right. Because there's stuff that's, like, obviously not real, but it's presented in a way that you can kind of feel that it's real. And then there's stuff that's presented and you're like, no, this actually could be real. 
Like right. there could just actually be no nothing strange going on. This this could be straight real. Right, and, and it's very very hard to arrive at that space, particularly with SCP articles, in a way that doesn't make the reader feel cheated. I guess. Yeah. Like where they got where they're like feel. By the end, they have to think, okay, this was anomalous, but then they have to say, but how? Like they have to be able mm-hmm. to not find mm-hmm. it, which I think is a key component of not even is this anomalous, but rather where is the anomaly or what is the anomaly. It's like, I know there's an anomaly here. There's something anomalous. I just don't know where the fuck it is. It's not just don't show the monster. It's don't show the anomaly. And you have to just let the reader trust that there's something there. Right. Laugh is fun is the perfect example to me because by the end, you're 100% certain that this is anomalous. There's no fucking question in your mind. But you don't know what is anomalous about it. You 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 know it's got to be fucking anomalous. Like, there's no way this is fucking... This does not happen normally. Right. Yet. It doesn't happen. But what is it that's happening? Where is the anomaly? You don't know. And the thing is that, like, if you look at it, you say, oh, here's what's clearly anomalous. It's the dude with an octopus for a face. And then you right. remember, oh, right, it's CGI just, exists. Right. It's just a fucking video. Who knows? Like, you can fake that. That sort of thing I love. Uh, Pepper's Ghost is good at that. Pasol has done that a couple of times. Uh, Michael Atreus. This might be a little, a little bit more on the other end of it, but there's a uh, the two articles by Babsitek, the Sopranos article oh. and the uh, season opener, 1733. It's a little bit more overt than uh, Laugh Is Fun, but they're still like in that genre. Right, because the thing about those both those anomalies is even though they are clearly anomalous, the mechanism of the anomaly is so small. Uh, Reagan, Reagan uh, cut up whatever is the same sort of thing. Reagan cut up when talking. The <laughs> scope of the anomaly is so small that it seems like something you should be able to fake. But we know it's not being faked. Like, there's nobody would fucking, like, the amount of effort you'd have to put to fake it. But it's so small in scope that it feels real. It's implying something huge, but it's not doing anything huge. Creepy thing is more just like who is out there making this? Right, right. That's a huge part. Is like who the fuck made this? Where did this? it come from? Where did it come from? Where did from? it go? There's a, where did you come from, Cotton Eye Joe? <laughs> there's a, a thought experiment I always liked, which is along the same lines. Where imagine that you have never ever encountered any human civilization whatsoever, and then you come across a nickel. And it's like when you look at a nickel with no concept of human civilization, it's a fucking weird thing. Because the amount of effort and machinery and you need an entire civilization to create a nickel, a modern nickel, because it's so precise a design. There's so many elements of it, the metallurgy involved and everything Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like you can't just make a nickel from like a forge. No, you need like a fucking coin press. Dig it like there's so much shit that goes into just making a nickel. And then there's the implication about like what's on the nickel. Right. Like not just not just how did this get made to be a way it was. It's who is this person's face on there? Right. Why does it say this around the outside? There's an entire like, fucking Why did it history. say five cents? What's right. a cent? Right. There's a date and why on are it. There are five of them here. I only see one. That is a really fantastic way to recontextualize weird stuff on the article. It reminds me a lot of like roadside picnic and stalker. Mm-hmm something that makes perfect sense as soon as you propose it but it's such a weird thing because there's just no context or content to ground it in right and and when you when you remove something from its context it becomes alien that reminds me of clef's uh, amusement park article the one where everyone who went inside like died in horrific ways 823 scp 823 scares the pants off me not just because it's like a creepy amusement park that plays music when it's gonna kill someone but because of like the images, oh, they got rid of the images. You can I'm still so see them under. You can see them under files still. Oh, excellent files. Oh, the last one, eight twenty three dash zero zero seven. Open up that. Oh, image. That's a good oh, image. Yeah, I've, oh, I've seen that, that image. Yes, that's yes. a very good image. That's yeah. a terrifying fucking image. What made this and what really made this image pop when it was on the page is that the photo was context or content of this photograph is unknown the foundation found this photo among the bodies of the mobile task force that went in and they have no idea why i've I've used that trick context unknown that has such powerful energy unknown as a caption it's so good when it works because usually when you have a caption it's used to contextualize the image otherwise it's just an image you don't really you can like take guesses if it's just there it might be obviously of the anomaly or something related to the anomaly but right. usually it's there to like establish the exact relationship context unknown is saying hey 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 look at this picture <laughs> yeah make some context help like you're basically telling the reader hey figure it out 
It's like this is, we aren't going to tell you what. Yeah, co- context unknown is is a weirdly powerful tool. I just look back at the old version. It's not just context unknown. It's unable to determine context or content. Uh. <laughs> Oh, that's good. They, they impl- tried. The implication that they tried and they still failed is also very good. I don't think you liked it, Art, but I know I did that in one of my articles. Which Monster shaped hole. Monster shaped hole. Three one one seven. Okay, oh, I know. I, I remember. This I know one. I disliked monster shaped hole, but I don't think I disliked it for the context or content unknown. Yeah, it's the first image. It's, it's and it, I love when I saw that image. I was like, oh my god. I need to use this for something. That is a gruesome image. I cannot for the life of me remember image. why I dislike 3117, especially because I know I've thought of, like, write more stuff about it. I expect it, I expect, because it, it relies on a sort of twist that I think has become old hat for a lot of people. The final line of it is like, you're not reading an article, it's you, or something like that. The call is coming from inside the house, it's that sort of thing. Or it's like, it's the Twilight Zone twist. Isn't that it can't be used anymore? Is that like, you really have a bunch of different ways of pulling off the, you aren't reading the thing you think you're reading right. article? 3117 does it. Um, 2747 is an See, interesting case. This because is, like, it's also so small. I love this article because it's not a, tw- it's the opposite of a twist to me. Do you, have either of you ever seen, um, I know everybody has seen it by now, but um, uh, what is called a, a, a shit, the, the one, uh, the TV cartoon show with um, Morty and uh, what's his name? Rick and, Rick and, Morty. Rick and Morty. Have you ever seen the episode, the uh, flashback episodes, where it's like parasites? That's one of my favorite episodes. See, one of the things that episode does is in the intro credits, and this is a spoiler for that episode, but one of the things in the intro credits, it shows you the banana guy, right? Poopy butthole guy. And he's in the intro credits. So what it's actually doing is it's saying, hey, he's real. He's in the intro credits. Don't think he's fake. It's telling you What's going to happen? It's telling you this character is real, but you don't believe it because it's just being so fucking straightforward about it because you think, oh, it's a joke. They put him in the intro credits as a joke. Huh? It's like, no, it's telling you he's real. So when, when at the end, when he turns out to be real, it's not a twist. It's a thing you should have realized because they told you right at the fucking beginning. That's what this article does. It's not a twist. Well, it is, but it's not a twist because it tells you exactly what the fuck is going to happen. And the twist is, you forget. You, you Like, you just don't fucking see it coming. Even though you should have seen it coming. What makes 3117 and 2747's stingers work? Of course it's like building up to, oh, this is what is going to happen. Mm-hmm. But the twist in both of them is that, oh, it's not happening to the characters. It's happening to you, the reader. Right. And forces you to recontextualize the piece in light of that understanding. Right. And both of them are constructed in such a way that they can support that interpretation. That's something that a lot of meta articles, I think, are missing. That right. like, ability to, to be understood at both the textual and metatextual level. It's levels. extremely difficult to do this in a way that doesn't give it away. But once it does give it away, you don't feel like you were cheated. You don't go back and say, well, there was no fucking clues. Like, you have to do it in a way where there are clues, where it's like, where you feel like you should have got it. Where you, by the, when you read it, you're like, I should have seen it coming, but you didn't. And that's really hard. I think also one of the things that's really important about those articles, it's like making sure you ha- that the reader has all of the information to, if they took a moment and didn't just keep reading it, if they took a moment to think right. about it, they would be able to see it coming. Right. But the, the key is giving them all the information and then holding the punch to the very end. Right. 2747 does a phenomenal job of this because like the second collapsible is so visceral when you click it hmm. you click it and then everything else clicks right um right you click it and you're like okay uh, i'm finally gonna see what they're talking about and then it says nope and then you and click then it you and he says no oh. and then you say oh shit <laughs> i've been got the ending of 3393 does a similar thing it's not like you click it and you figure it out but it's like oh wait because the containment procedures are just at the end like they're just simply at the end but there's a lot of people who just kind of skip the containment procedures mm-hmm. and so i had people like i think lord stonefish told me this when he read it he's like yeah so i reached the part in your table that said see containment procedures and i scroll and he scrolled back up to the top of the article because he thought he just missed it like <laughs> forgetting just just straight up forgetting this is an scp article and that containment is is occurring you get lost in the sauce and then you reach the end and you're like oh i should have i should have seen this coming right there i was missing a very key ingredient that's in every scp article i should have expected to see it coming 3117 has like creates all the pieces and then it reaches that last line you're like oh 
it's making them feel duped in a way that still feels rewarding. Right. Part of it, too, is can't make it a dupe where you only give them one chance to figure it out. There has to be multiple chances. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If it's one chance, they can just not have fucking read it. Yeah. So I skipped the containment procedure. It's like, oh, I didn't see that part. So it doesn't fucking work. So you have to keep like being like, poke, poke. Here's another clue. Here's another clue. I'm giving you clues. I'm si- I'm letting you know. And my fi- that's one of the reasons I love 2747 is because it doesn't yeah, so yeah. much give you as a clue as it just tells you. This flat out says, hey, this is how the anomaly works. And at the end it says, the anomaly works exactly like I just said it works. Were you not paying attention? It doesn't even feel like you were duped. It feels like you duped yourself by just not applying it, if that makes sense. Like it just yeah. told you yeah. exactly what the fuck's going to happen. And then it happens. It's like my favorite type of um, trick in writing, where it's like you just you just tell the reader this is what's going to happen, and then it happens, and the reader goes, "What the fuck? <laughs> what did you expect? Were you not paying attention? I told you this is what's going to happen." It's when you make people question their own reading comprehension. <laughs> when you're like, uh, I, "What did you think I was lying? You fool! Why would I lie to you?" <laughs> oh god! Now I'm just waiting for the inevitable format screw where it's like you scroll halfway down the page and then the text above changes while you aren't oh, looking, so god. you have to go back and read it. There's, to be fair, there is a draft from someone. I think it was from Kokobush, but he didn't change text that when you scroll down. He did something much more sinister. He just changed an image. Oh, that's good. Scroll down to the bottom, and then it, and you read something, and you say, wait a minute, you scroll back up to the top, and then the image is changed? I, I, I like that, yeah. There's a lot of different things you could do with that. Yeah, oh. like, it was it was clever. The only thing that I, I had when I critiqued that piece was, like, I wish that the buildup was more directly related to the part where you scroll to the top. There's this, but it was clever as all hell. There's this article that, that I remember reading that if they did that, it would be fucking amazing. Uh, it's like a mummified guy who's in, like, a photograph who stalks you. Does that sound familiar at all? It's like he's in this photograph uh, and he stalks after you and he kills you. And the photograph... This the, sounds familiar. The twist, and I put it in quotes, is the photograph doesn't have him in it when you see it. It's just a normal photograph of like a crowd. And then you realize, oh, he's out, uh, he's out of the photograph and he's coming after me. But just thinking of like setting that up where it's like you see the photograph and it's empty and you're like, oh, there's nobody there. And then you read the rest of the article. Shouldn't he be in there? And then you scroll up and then you fucking see him. That would be fucking killer. Oh, that is oh, that would be good. This is an article that exists on the site, but without the changing without image. the changing image. I remember reading the article and be like, "This is okay," but the twist is that there's nothing in the image. It's like it's just a normal picture. It's okay, but it's, it doesn't fill me with any sense of it dread. could be great, right? But if if that image fucking changed, that would be fucking terrifying. I'd be like, "Oh shit!" It's like the inverse camera disruption. There's that camera disruption article eight nine five. Where like like it has that flickering camera feed, right, and you're right. just expecting something to come out any moment. It's like the inverse of that, where like you don't expect anything to change, and then it does. I like the idea, but the actual image does not scare me in the slightest bit. The image could be better. It just looks goofy to me. It's like I'm watching. It's like, oh, there's some blood on the wall that says "You're next" or something. Yeah. It's like okay, I'm not scared. I think what's effective about it isn't so much the picture and more like the effects that they put on it and the yeah, fact yeah. that they make it really look like the, a live the feed. The fact like, that it looks I, like, like a live I think feed they, is they could impressive. choose a better image, but like, yeah, right. like that that's the draw is not so much the image itself but more the fact that, oh, this actually looks like a live fucking feed. The technical aspects of that are fantastic. I have no complaints about that. It's just that the actual yeah. spooky stuff they try to do it's in it is like, when you hit the details, it doesn't fucking work of, for me. Yeah. You need to do shit like, like find a picture that doesn't feel like it's from a horror movie. Because that's what it feels like. I'm watching, it's like, this is a slasher film. Jason Voorhees bullshit. It's like, that doesn't fucking scare me. Go to a refinery and take a picture there. It works for you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, just, like, find shit that, that doesn't feel like it's trying to scare you. That is the key. It's like, yeah, it should yeah. never feel like it's trying to be scary. If it doesn't feel like it's trying it to be scary, is. it's fucking horrifying. There's nothing less scary than a monster who's trying to scare you. Because a monster who's trying to fucking scare you isn't a monster, it's a stupid kid in a mask. It's also SCP-2006, which is mm-hmm. incredibly popular. <laughs> oh, yeah, the yeah. Twist in that, the twist in that is, oh, you thought this thing wasn't scary? Well, guess what? Here's the yeah. reason why it is. I, I actually like this one just because it's so goofy. I, I realize it's supposed to be scary. I don't find it scary at all, but I love its goofiness. So the first part is supposed to be goofy, 
in its entirety. And the ending part is supposed to be the like grimdark twist on it. Right. I remember I, I talked to, to Wei Zhang, the author of this article, a lot. He's always like, yeah, I wish I could have done this better than anything than just a note at the end. But it's still it's still effective. Yeah. It, it's a more or less gets it gets the point across. The grimdark twist doesn't work for me at all. But just the goofiness of the article win, won me over. I remember reading, but like it, it's yeah. just too silly, and I like it too much. He's so charming. Yes. Yeah, it's so like, endearing. It's like the note at the end is like, eh, okay, whatever. Like three one one seven is basically me trying to do this, but actually try to be spooky about it. I try to build the atmosphere up to it, but I still love the goofiness of this article. I think I also yeah. wrote Vincent Price because of this one. From that makes Man. sense. Just, Vincent Price feels very much like a too spooky article, right? Because it starts goofy, and you're like, "Oh, this is so stupid," and at the end is like, "Oh my fucking god, <laughs> they're all made out of wax. They replaced everyone's organs with wax. What the fuck?" It's like, it turns out that there are horrifying monsters who have just been mannequin people. Like, all the interviews you've read are them faking it for their own fun, just to create yeah. a spooky story. Yeah. It's like, oh my fucking god, that's horrible. I think this article would work as a spooky article if he did something like that at the end, where it's like, everything you just read is just this guy fucking with you in a way that's horrible. There is an old article by Troy L. somewhere in series two that is like this exact thing, like a trickster spirit. Oh, yeah. The foundation thinks they've got the drop right. on him. Right. I like that article. he knows they know him. Right. Yeah, I've read that article. I liked it. Um, I feel like it relies on that twist too much for its length. Like it could be a lot shorter, but I, I liked it. And I also remember um, if you look up its upvote number on IRC, the upvote's always negative because it's the trickster. It's the, okay, that's pretty good. Oh, uh, that's trickster. clever. Because he's that's a trickster, clever. man. He's a trickster. That's he's going to fuck with you. I wonder how they pulled that off. I have no idea. I remember noticing it. Be like, Actually, f- is it still true? I'm interested if it's still true because they could have put something in Jarvis back when Jarvis was the bot for IRC. It was, it was Jarvis, so but I don't like, know if it's if it's the case for the new yeah. one. Uh, Secretary I don't know Helen. If, yeah, I don't know if Hel- Secretary Helen has it. Yeah, be, might not. So it, it, something interesting to check. It sounds like we're kind of running dry on the topic of verisimilitude, and we've already passed the 80-minute mark. Mm. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's no all problem. good. It's all good. But I think we should probably wrap up this episode. Mm. Hippo, thank you so much for coming on. It was a real treat to talk to you. No problem. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I really enjoyed talking to you and learning more about your process, and I would really love to have you back on the podcast at some point. I would love to be back on, particularly with right. COVID-19. I have freaking nothing but work now. It'd really right. be like that. Yeah. Well, I think that is us, though, signing off for this episode. Hippo, thank you once again. Listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Object Class Podcast. Thank you, and have a good night.